Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber Internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. From the Milton Metz Studio in the Radio TV Building at Indiana University, welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg, along with co-host WFIU and WTIU News Bureau Chief Sarah Whitmire. Today we're talking about the 2020 U.S. Census and proposed inclusion of a citizen question which says, is this person a citizen of the United States? At the insistence of the Trump administration, this would be the, the first time in 70 years such a question was included. The inclusion of a citizenship question has sparked concerns that many people will opt out uh, of the survey due to fears that the government will um, track them down and use their responses against them. So we're going to talk about all those issues and more because the census is such an enormous topic with three guests who are in the studio with us. Brad Bilbian is Administrator for Long Range Planning with the City of Indianapolis's Department of Metropolitan Development. Vicki Polanski is member of the, the League of Women Voters of Bloomington and Monroe County. And joining us by phone is Nicholas Nagel, an Associate Professor of Geography at the University of Tennessee, who was a member of the National Academy of Sciences Standing Committee on Reengineering the De Decennial Census. If you want to join us on the program, give us a call at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside the local area. You can also send us questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Well, it's really good to have all three of you with us, Nicholas, from uh, by phone from Tennessee. I assume you're in Tennessee. Yeah. And uh, Vicki and, and Brad are here in the studio. So I'm just going to throw out just this general question to get us started about the importance of the sentence. I mean, why census? Why is it important? Why is it so important that everyone is counted? And Nicholas, I'm going to I'm going to start with you. Yeah, the census is really important. For one, it's mentioned in the Constitution. It's mentioned before the Senate or the President is. Our democracy is founded on the idea of representation based on population count. Uh, just as importantly, though, everyone's lives are impacted by federal funds that are allocated based on census data. $800 billion every year is distributed to states and local governments using census data. Uh, biggest funds are health and human services, uh, Medicaid, children's health insurance program, foster care, adoption assistance. States get money for these programs based on how many people they have and what their incomes are, and the census is really important beyond that, for this. Beyond that, how much uh, money your community gets for highways, how much money your school district gets through Title I funding, again, all of this is based on census data. If there's an undercount in, in your community, everyone loses money and everyone suffers. Well, let's, let's go down to the community level, and I'll start with Brad, with uh, Indianapolis. I mean, what are you doing to try to make sure you get those numbers? Yeah, and so to, to bring that home, uh, in fiscal year 2018, Marion County, Indianapolis, uh, received more than $200 million um, in funding just to local government and nonprofits. And so that's a huge amount of um, investment in our community that goes to quality of life and quality of place and highways and schools and all those um, things that matter. And so um, it's incredibly important for us to get an accurate count. Um, and so we have put together um, a, a campaign called Count Me Indy which is our uh, complete count committee. And so we have a group of community leaders, uh, trusted voices um, that we're just starting to convene to talk about how we can build trust um, out in our community so that we have a complete and accurate count. Mm -hmm. Vicki, I know the League of Women Voters gets involved in lots of different issues, and the, the census is just one of the many things you get involved with. So why, why does the League think that the census is so important? The League is concerned about the census because census data are used to draw state and congressional districts based on population. It's also just a matter of good government. Uh, mm -hmm. the, uh, the census is both a function of good government and um, a precondition for good government, mm -hmm. as has been mentioned. Um, inaccurate census data will result in inaccurate drawing of district maps, and that will result in... Um, 
unfair and unequal representation of the citizens. Yeah, we've talked, I mean, uh, redistricting is is a big issue. So, you know, that issue is is a corollary to everything that we're, we're talking about. Um, because, as you said, um, if, if, say, Bloomington's undercounted by a great number, then, you know, the district lines will be drawn and Bloomington won't be as represented, for instance, as a as one, just one example. Well, I'm I'm curious specifically about that when we have a population of so many university students in Bloomington. How does that work in terms of them filling out the census? Uh, undergraduates are actually more likely to be overcounted. Um, they're supposed to be counted in the place where they live, which would be Bloomington, uh, but census records show that they're also likely to be counted by their parents. That's actually one of the few populations, believe it or not, that is likely to be overcounted. Wow. That's, that's interesting. That's a, yeah. I didn't know that. So, Nick, maybe you can, you can start. I'm just curious if you can sort of describe the undertaking that is gathering all of this data. Uh, the uh, it's an enormous undertaking so i mean they will be hiring about a half million employees uh in the next few months some of those will be out in the field uh going to addresses making sure that they have all the addresses that they need and then after the census happens they'll be going to follow up with people who don't respond trying to get responses they've got an and an army of people in, in an office, actually in Jeffersonville, Indiana. Their job is to um, to collect all those forms that get mailed back and to make sure that they get entered properly. Uh, and, and then there's people working on making sure that they get the first counts to the president by the end of 2020, the state-level official population counts. Uh, and they've been working for the previous decade and, and changes in updating and creating new scientific and, and technological innovations this decade. It's an enormous undertaking. In Indianapolis, are you, are you going door-to-door? -door? Can you talk a little bit about how you're going to be working to get people to fill it out? Uh, yeah, and so... Uh, from a local government pr perspective, our, our role really isn't the, the operation of the census. It's, it's really uh, it's the encouragement, kind of the get out the vote campaign to get people to participate. And so the way that we're approaching that, um, like I said, we've established this complete count committee and that um, has several subcommittees in it. Uh, we've really focused on uh, the, the hard to count populations, uh, which are groups of people that for whatever historical or socioeconomic demographic reason um, have historically um, uh, been harder to count. So we have committees um, tasked with um, exploring uh, the issues with those populations um, and helping us devise strategies uh, to, to build trust and get participation. So that includes low-income folks, um, our African-American community, our Latinx uh, residents, um, as well as renters. Um, we supplement that with tactical-based committees. And so these are uh, committees that have resources or, or networks that can help address um, kind of the get out the vote campaign at large, but also um, uh, those population based. And so that includes media, uh, faith community, arts and culture community, um, educational institutions, and then what we're calling community institutions, which are those uh, partners like libraries and health networks that might have a large footprint out in the community uh, that we could take advantage of. Vicki, is the Monroe County, uh, Bloomington Monroe County League involved in this kind of advocacy, trying to make sure and get people to sign up? Not yet, but it sounds like it's something that would be a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like it's right up your alley. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the you know the big issue for this year is this idea of a citizenship question. So, I, I'll start with Vicky. What's the league's position on a citizenship question? Nationally, the League of Women Voters is strongly opposed to including the citizenship question on the 2020 census because the weight of scientific evidence indicates that including that question would jeopardize the accuracy of the census. Mm -hmm. And what about, uh, Brad, what about from your perspective? Uh, from our perspective, we need to understand who's living in our community. And so any, any hurdle or obstacle that uh, makes that harder to understand is, is a challenge for us. And so um, specific to the citizenship question, um, in Indianapolis, uh, we have I think about 10% of our population uh, is, is first-generation immigrants, so for they're not born in this country. Um, and so whether they're here illegally or, or legally um, really is not our uh, – they're, they're, our, they're our neighbors, 
right? And so we need to understand who's who's living here regardless. Mm-hmm. I want to play devil's advocate a little bit on that because you think you you want to better understand who the people are living in your community. So that seems like this is it would be some if the if the question is included, that is something more that you could learn. Well, that is, that is a detail, but um, if it discourages them from participating in completing the census to start with, um, uh, then we don't know anything about who's living in there. Uh, Nicholas, I think you said that your committee uh, stood down before the citizenship question even came up, right? Uh, it had just started to show up on on the radar when we stood down. Um, we had a lot of concerns previously. I mean, there's some major technological changes. For example, the going to an online census uh, was something we're really concerned about. It raises a whole host of cybersecurity concerns. Um, add that to the the census. Uh, sorry, to the citizenship question and the issues around that. Um, and, and yeah, there's a lot of risks uh, about the census not being as successful as we hope. Mm-hmm. Nick, do you have any idea? Like, what was the rationale between behind adding the question? Well, something I'd like listeners to know is that the the Daniel Census, for starters, isn't the only thing that the Census Bureau does. Uh, So the decennial census is supposed to go to every single household once every 10 years. And for the last few years, decades, it's been age, race, sex, and ethnicity. And that's about it on the decennial census. They do other surveys. The biggest one is one called the American Community Survey. That goes to about one in 40 households each year. It's a long survey, almost 100 questions. And they have asked the citizenship question on the ACS, um, the American Community Survey, um, for a long time. Uh, and so they have some experience with the citizenship question. In fact, that's actually the wording they're going to use on a decennial census. Um, uh, but it hasn't been asked of everybody, um, as mentioned, since uh, for the last 70 years. So, you know, from your perspective, you know, I, I think you already said this is, would put an accurate count in jeopardy. I mean, would you, and, you know, this is just a yes-no question, I guess, would you be would you want this question to be on there or not? For no. no. <laughs> okay. Um, so, I mean, the, my point with the American Community Survey is when we want to know about neighborhoods, we have other surveys of telling us about the demographic and economic and social characteristics of neighborhoods. We don't need the decennial census to do that. And so anything that jeopardizes people responding to the census, um, I, I think, is a threat. All right. If you want to join us on the program and ask your questions about the census, how how it's uh, undertaken, and what it, what it learned, what we learned from the census, and any other thing, weigh in on the citizenship question or anything else about it, and give us a call at eight one two eight five five zero eight one one or one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight. You can also reach us news at indianapublicmedia dot org. And you can uh, follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. And Nick, you mentioned some of the new software in doing this online. Can you talk a little bit about, well, I guess a few things, how that's going to be done, what it's going to look like? I mean, I remember in the past, it's just somebody comes to your door and counts you. So I'm assuming that's not the way it's going to be. Um, so, yeah, what they're going to do is everybody's going to get, uh, I think, a postcard uh, telling them to go online and do the census. And I think you're going to get a unique pin so that you can do it from work, for example, and they'll be able to tie that pin to your address. Uh, after, I don't know what it is now, but after a week or so, if they don't receive an online form, then I believe that they will begin to send out paper forms to every address. And if you still don't self-respond, uh, then you go into a... Um, uh, a bucket of people called non-response follow-up, and they will start sending people to your door uh, at various times of the day. Um, at least three times they'll visit, maybe up to six. Um, and if they still can't reach you, they're actually allowed to talk to neighbors, talk to postmen, the person checking your electric meter, anybody they can find to try to get an idea of how many people live in a house. Wow. So it's, it almost feels like you really can't ref- you can't get away from this. <laughs> Um, no, you can't. I mean, you are legally obligated uh, to, to respond to the census. Um, there's a, a small fine. They haven't prosecuted that, though, since 1970, because the census's biggest concern, really, is making sure that people trust the census. And so suing people is not what they want to do. 
We have a, a couple of phone calls already, so let's go to uh, James first. James? Yes. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, my question is this. I have a lot of friends who are really worried about gerrymandering in this state, and they're especially excited now because this census is coming up. Can somebody on the panel explain the connection between the census and gerrymandering? Vicki, is that something you want to tackle? Okay. The... Um the census data are used to draw state and congressional districts based on the population. So we need an accurate census count in order to draw the district lines accurately. Um, if we have an undercount, as, as Bob mentioned earlier, it's going to affect how, say, Bloomington is represented. We already have a problem of gerrymandering, which is the drawing of congressional and legislative districts in a partisan way that's intended to advantage one party or even a particular candidate. And how this ties in with the census is that anything that, anything that undermines the principle of one person, one vote undermines representative democracy by giving undue weight to the votes cast for the party that's been favored. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we already, in, in the 2018 elections, we saw that gerrymandering allowed 56% of Indiana voters to elect the representatives who won 78% of our state's um, nine seats. That's seven out of nine in the U.S. House of Representatives. Okay. So if I can add something, yeah, it would sure. be to say that the Census Bureau does not draw congressional districts. The Census Bureau releases data, which then each state decides on their own how to draw congressional districts. So there's a sort of a two two prong problem with gerrymandering that that um, it depends on how the how the uh, lines are drawn, but it also depends on where the population is um, is proven to be through the census data. Right, and so you have to have the the data, and that's that's the census. Uh, how you uh, group the data um, is really the legislative action of of um, drawing the districts, and that is where gerrymandering comes in. But the data. Uh, whether it's gerrymandered or not, is the foundation of, of all of that. Yeah, so the gerrymandering then wouldn't go away necessarily with a new census. That's a separate and distinct issue. Right. Yeah. But there are, there are attempts throughout the country to, um, to change the way redistricting is done. There are several court cases coming up before the Supreme Court, including two that are coming up at the end of March. And we also have bills, oh, we have a bill, in Indiana, that uh, Senate Bill 105, that is attempting to create re, uh, redistricting standards for the state of Indiana. Um, that bill passed the Senate and is has crossed over to the House. Um, it was sponsored by Senator Walker. It's a good bill, but it uh, could be strengthened by some amendments that would include things like third-party review of of the proposed maps and specific language. Uh, forbidding the drawing of district lines to favor any particular party or candidate. Is that does that have bipartisan support right now? Yes, yes, yes. So I am just a little a little curious about that though, because then what happens, for example, if a district would would lose population, would that then go to the legislature to figure that out, or so when it, so when. Every 10 years when we get new counts back, the, the boundaries change. Um, and so the idea is that roughly each, whether it's school board district or local council or House of Representatives, the idea is that uh, each representative uh, represents roughly the same population. And so uh, the boundaries get drawn um, regardless. And so if, for example, we lose population relative to the rest of the nation, um, then we would lose a congressional seat, which has happened in the past. Um, and at that point, we would draw um, uh, new boundaries based on the, that new number of representative, representatives we have. So in this case, it, to bring it back to the citizenship question, it seems like if, if people who uh, are discouraged from filling out the, citizen, or the form because they don't want to answer the citizenship question, if, they, if there is a larger population in a particular state, that state could really stand to lose, might lose a congressional district. Yes, and that's why I think you see, especially the the, the more diverse states, the more urban-heavy population states, uh, those are the ones that have been raising the concerns the loudest. Can you choose just not to answer 
that one question, if that really is your sticking point? I can say when mm -hmm. I was a census taker back in uh, 2010 going door to door, um, if people did not want to answer a question, I could not make any assumptions or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Nick? That, that's correct. So they cannot force you to answer as a technique legally you're obligated to, but many people choose not to answer that question. Even on the ACS, this other survey they do, a lot of people choose not to do the citizenship question. What will happen in the um, Census Bureau's office uh, when they see a missing item like that is uh, they may check with administrative records and try to put in a number there, or they may even use statistical models to try to guess what that quantity is. Okay. But it doesn't invalidate them as a Hoosier or whatever. <laughs> Nope. Right. All right. We have a, a follow-up question to that, I think. So Chris is on the line. It looks like he might want to weigh in on this. Chris? So, so my question is, assuming the Supreme Court decides that it's okay uh, to have this uh, question on the uh, decennial census, what happens? I'm assuming if I'm doing it online, I'm going to have to answer every question or I won't be able to go on. What happens if I simply decide to say, I'm not a citizen? number one, and number two, if as part of that protest I urge other people to follow suit, uh, what are the consequences for uh, a citizen that would do such a terrible thing? Well, from, from again, from my local government perspective, um, then we, we don't know who lives here, right? And so that's our concern is that at this type of question, whether people just choose not to participate, or in your case, there's kind of a, uh, you know, active rebellion and people misidentify, um, clearly that does not help us as a local government understand who's living in our communities. And so, uh, I mean, that's my perspective. Nicholas, is there something with the census where it says, you know, you, you must answer these questions truthfully under, you know, threat of... Yeah, you do sign something, I believe, at the beginning saying that you agree, by doing this, you agree to answer truthfully. My understanding of the online form, though, is that you will be able to, to click on, if you will, to the next question without answering something. Um, in that case, uh, you might expect to receive a phone call or someone at your door asking to, to fill in that answer for them. <laughs> and has there, are there challenges to people that they think have not been truthful on census? It hasn't been forms? prosecuted since, yeah. uh, since, since 1970. That's what he said before, There yeah. was a case, yeah. uh, maybe it was in 1960, where someone in Hawaii objected to a question, and they were very public and vocal about it, and uh, Census or Commerce tried to sue them. Uh, and they uh, were able to, the, the court ruled for the individual, saying that uh, because they were vocal, they were exercising their First Amendment rights. And by that being the only person Census took to court over this, uh, Census was trying to... To, to squelch their First Amendment speech rights. Um, but that was a long time ago, and, uh, you know, who, who knows what the courts do now. That's and, and is there any law about urging others to uh, be dishonest on the census? I, I don't know the answer to that. Okay. Yeah, we don't have any, I don't think we have any lawyers in the room, do we? <laughs> all, right. all right, Chris, thanks a lot for the all call. Right. We appreciate it. All right, we're going to take a short break. You're listening to Noon Edition. We're talking about the census today, as, uh, in particular, the citizenship question. Uh, if you want to call us, 812-855-0811, News at indianapublicmedia.org is where to find us online, and at Noon Edition if you want to find us on Twitter. We'll be right back. From the Milton Met Studio at IU's Radio TV Building, this is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville, online at smithville.com. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state throughout the day at WFIUNews.org and on Twitter at WFIUNews. You can watch unfiltered video of breaking stories on Facebook Live. And you can get a digest of all the day's top stories delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of the headlines, plus the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org.
Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm your host, Bob Salzberg, along with co-host WFIU and WTIU News Bureau Chief Sarah Whitmire. We're talking about the U.S. Census today with three guests, Brad Bobian, who's the Administrator for Long-Range Planning with the City of Indianapolis's Department of Metropolitan Development, Vicki Polanski, who is a member of the League of Women Voters of Bloomington, Monroe County, and Nicholas Nagel, who's Associate Professor of Geography at the University of Tennessee and was a member of the National Academy of Sciences Standing Committee on Reengineering the Decennial Census. If you want to join us, give us a call at 812-855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. News at indianapublicmedia.org is the way to reach us online or follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So, Vicki, you wanted to, to sort of add to an answer from the previous part of the show about what's going through the legislature, right? Yes. I wanted to emphasize or correct the impression, um, give a little more nuance to my answer that there was bipartisan support for um, for redistricting reform for Senate Bill 105 in particular. Um, the bill was written by um, Senator Greg Walker, who's a Republican, and we're the league. We are very grateful to him for his advocacy on behalf of redistricting reform. We do think it's a good bill. Um, it was subsequently Senator Ruckelshaus, also a Republican, um, joined as a co-sponsor. Um, but the bill squeaked through the Senate by a vote of, of 26 to 23 and um, may face opposition in the House. And so um, we're urging people who are concerned about redistricting reform to, um, to become advocates. And there are a number of ways that you can do this, um, write to your legislators, join groups that are working on behalf of redistricting reform, like um, the League of Women Voters, Bloomington, Monroe County, Common Cause, um, attend legislative updates. Um, a good source of information for this is um, the Common Cause um, website, as well as the League of Women Voters website. Okay. Thank you for that update. And we're going to go back to the phones. We have Ryan on the line. Ryan? Ryan, go ahead. Sorry? Go ahead. Go ahead, yeah. Uh, So uh, my question has to do with the technology of the census. Um, With countries such as Estonia, Saudi Arabia, and South Korea switching to blockchain or other types of cryptocurrency for their census data, how can we see that affecting our census in the future? Nicholas, do you want to can you respond to that? I'm definitely not an expert in, in, in blockchain. Um, and I don't know, with, for example, with going to an online census, I'm not sure uh, what they're doing with regards to trying to, to keep your data safe. Um, actually, one of the biggest concerns about the online census is not necessarily about the, the safety of your data. Um, but about, for example, um, you know, they're worried about phishing and website spoofing, people setting up false web pages and having you go and enter your data. They're worried about dedicated disinformation campaigns, uh, counting people's foundational to democracy, and there are people around the world that want to disrupt that. You know, they're worried about, for example, a Russian troll trying to tell people not to fill out the census because of the citizenship question, and that troll might be sitting in an office next to another troll trying to scare people about the number of non-citizens and saying that we need to count them. Um, That's actually a lot of what their cybersecurity threats are, not necessarily about uh, having physical data stolen, uh, but about all the other ways in which we, we can hack things online and make people do things they wouldn't normally do online. If somebody doesn't want to fill it out online, can they make that choice and instead do it do a paper copy? Yeah, after about a week or so, I think it is. Everyone who doesn't fill it out is going to start receiving them in the mail. We have another phone call that seems to follow up this question quite nicely. So, Susan, go ahead. Hi. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Uh-huh. In my car, so I wanted to be sure. I just wanted to make an observational comment to start with of how valuable the citizenship information is historically to uh, those amateur genealogists in us that I have found family members and information on them because of the detail in many, many census back back in the day. Um, so that's an observation. My question is not very specifically formulated, so let me ramble a moment. It's about... And somewhere I thought there was an, an issue of confidentiality that no government entity would have access to 
the names of the individuals or the addresses uh, regarding their answers on the census. That I may be making that up, so please comment on that. And secondly, um, you know, if there was a huge number of individuals who said they were not citizens, I'm not sure how that would affect the the what would happen next. So. That's a non-specific question. Okay, Brad's gonna gonna take the first crack at it. Yeah. So uh, census is confidential, uh, and so by federal law, uh, census responses cannot be shared with law enforcement, with the IRS, with um, immigration, even with the president. Um, so um, it is confidential, and there's some pretty hefty fines and jail time associated with people um, that. Uh, would ever leak that, and so five it, years in prison and two hundred fifty thousand dollars for disclosure. So, so it is confidential. That the challenge is getting people to trust that. Um, and in the era of fake news and alternative facts, and um, and all the political climate that we have, you know, tr- social trust is one of those things that uh, we're having challenges with as a society. And so. Um, at the local level, again, one of the purposes of our complete count campaign is to get is to get trusted voices um, to convey that you can trust that this is secure, this is legit, you're not gonna face um, the IRS knocking on your door or ICE knocking on your door because of your responses. I appreciate that, and I guess I would encourage that maybe some of our conversation as we go forward focuses on that issue uh, and, and the, the confidential, because I thought there was that component in the law. Thank you for confirming that, but we need to speak maybe more about that and, and build that trust because so much of our current um, uh, progress of, of collecting data has broken that down. Oh, if I can add something, um, it's absolutely correct that uh, it is very illegal for someone at census to disclose your personal information, even to law enforcement. Um, and there's no way around that right now. Um, but I um, if I could add something, you know, for example, the Patriot Act changed protections for educational data, and it allowed law enforcement to request educational data without your consent in cases related to terrorism. So the legal enforcement's now protecting your census data. They're very strong, but they don't have to persist forever. Um, and there's actually another way in which we might be concerned about the, the privacy of our data. Um, the second way that your data can be leaked is through what they call statistical disclosure. And an example of this might be when the census publishes data for a small census block with three people of whom two are citizens. Uh, now, that's not individual data, but if law enforcement finds birth records for two of those people, then the third person has now had their data disclosed. Um, and this is another issue that people within the census are, are really concerned about. Like I said, I think there's no reason why we need to be releasing block-level data like we do. We can redistrict congressional districts. We can enforce voting rights legislation at other geographic scales like census tracts or neighborhoods. All right. Well, really Susan. good insight. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Susan. Thanks a lot for your call. Bye. Our numbers again are 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348. News at indianapublicmedia.org and at Noon Edition. Brad, can you talk a little bit about how how Indianapolis and I guess maybe then what other cities potentially could do with this data and how how that might help them or influence decisions they make? So I use, as a city planner, I use census data almost every day, and that's kind of why, um, from an administration perspective, why my team's uh, leading the efforts. Um, But whether you're working for a nonprofit, trying to target programs to help uh, provide social services or or things like that, um, you you need to understand where that's at. We know that across our, Indianapolis is a 400-square-mile city. We know that across that, the population is not uniform. The needs and the challenges and the hopes and the desires are, are not uniform. Um, and so the ability to pinpoint the needs of a population to a geography is incredibly important for us to make investment decisions, um, to make um, all sorts of public policy, um, social service type of decisions. Give, give an example. And so, um, for example, if we have um, uh, uh, programs geared around um, workforce development, um, and so we know that in some places of our city, um, unemployment, um, college education, you know, things like that are, uh, we're doing fine, but there are other places where, where we're not. And so we need to understand um, 
where those populations live so that we can gear um, our programs to the places that are very uh, that need them the most and not just spread it across 400 square miles of places that probably don't need that help. Mm-hmm. When we're talking about how the census helps in terms of uh, it's what the federal government uses to distribute Title Title One funds, I believe you said, um, highway dollars. How is that done? Is it the federal government makes it to the state and then they appropriate it how they like, or how is that? How's that divvied up? So that that really varies depending on program. And so, um, in my department, we receive um, dollars uh, from the Department of Housing and Urban Development, so Community Development Block Grant and Home Investment Partnerships and some other related programs that we use to invest in. Uh, lower income and some disinvested uh, neighborhoods. And so that automatically comes to us. We're called an entitlement community. Um, and so that formula factors in your population as well as some of the socioeconomic and demographic data that comes from the, the ACS um, that, that Nick mentioned. Um, other times, um, it's uh, the dollars, uh, census numbers help you uh, justify uh, making requests. And so Virtually every federal grant application that I've ever worked on asks questions like, what's the population served? Um, what, what's the poverty rate? And all of those numbers come um, in one form or fashion from the Census Bureau. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in some of it, it's automatic. Others, you use the data to yeah, apply for more money. Right. So the, da- the census numbers are used as an ingredient to the, to the award. But in terms of... But even the automatic ones, those formulas, as you mentioned, are based on the census. Yep. Right. And does any of that then go, is it targeted specifically to cities or, or towns? And, and again, again that varies. Down. And so, okay. so some, I mean, nonprofit, nonprofits uh, receive uh, federal grants um, quite a bit. Um, in, in our case, we receive, um, just by virtue of the size of city we are, we receive some automatic dollars direct to us. Um, in some cases, those dollars do go to the state, and then the state has a, a, a way to distribute them to the smaller communities around. Okay. Is there anything after, so the census is done every 10 years, are there any sort of checks that are done during the year, any sort of adjustments that are made, or this this extends for 10 years, that's it, it's your one shot? So as far as um, political representation, it's, it's every 10 years. Um, they do provide projections in the meantime, and so they have statistical methodologies to factor in the ACS data and building permit data and some things to kind of get at how the population um, might be growing. Um, some communities that are growing fast can actually petition and, and pay for a, a special census, and so that's an individualized count. Um, locally um, in Indiana, the town of Fishers, or city of Fishers now, um, is one of those places that have been going, growing so rapidly um, that they petitioned to get that um, um, done. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to go to the phones. We have Larry on the line. Larry? Uh, yes, I'm here. Yeah, go right ahead. Uh, yes, I worked at the uh, U.S. Census 2010, and uh, it was a very good experience for me. I was an enumerator and uh, later a quality control person, and I uh, did not have trouble with uh, people in the Hispanic community answering my questions. And uh, the reason, I thought, was that they uh, were told or uh, were instructed by people they trusted that it was going to be safe. And I really wonder if we're going to get that again this year, especially if the uh, citizenship question is on the agenda. Number two, I'd like to point out the question of race is uh, also asked. And we were given a list uh, to choose from. People could add to the end of that. But I found a lot of people did not uh, find that satisfactory either. I wonder if there are more, uh, is more flexibility this time around. All right. So um, do we know, Nicholas or Brad? Uh, second question, uh, the one I remember was about race in 2010. Census did a lot of studies this decade about how to improve race. The research said they should change it. And for now, for example, Hispanic is technically not a race. There's a separate question, are you Hispanic, yes or no? The research said add that into the race. The research also said they should create a new racial category for Middle Eastern and North African. Uh, but sometime in the middle of the decade, the uh, administration says we will not do any changes to the race questions, and so we are still using the exact same wording from 2010. Um, I don't remember what the first question Oh, it's about trust of the Hispanic community. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, 
census has, uh, as part of this operation, they have a lot of money set aside for working with uh, local organizations to, to get out the word. We've already heard about some of that. Um, one of the big shortfalls uh, that our committee noted um, was they do tests of the census uh, in the lead-up, and the biggest test was called the end-to-end test in 2018, and one of the, and they did that in Princeton, um, sorry, Providence, Rhode Island. And one of the things they cut from that end-to-end test was their marketing campaign. And so we are going into the census blind as to what types of messages people need to hear. Okay. Thank you, Larry. Okay. Appreciate your call. Uh, we have about 10 minutes to go. 812-855-0811-1877-285-9348. News at indianapublicmedia.org if you want to send us a, a question or at Noon Edition if you're following us on Twitter. So um, I wanted to ask you, Nick, about the National Academy of Sciences Standing Committee on Reengineering the Decennial Census. I am going to admit here today that I didn't know about that committee until I knew you were coming on the program. What was your charge? What what were you put together? What were you? Uh, what was that committee formed to do? And I know you said that there were several things that you were concerned about when the committee decided to to stand down. So you know, I guess that's two parts. What was your original charge? Why was the committee developed? And then two, what are some of the other things that you were concerned about? So the um, census. Um made a, a lot of changes over the last decade, uh, hopefully to save costs. Uh, and, and these are big changes. And so they wanted to have uh, a third-party reliable organization um, kind of have an eye, a, a deep eye into that process and to offer some feedback. And, and so they contracted with the National Academies uh, to put together this, the standing committee. And, and so the standing committee does what they usually does and, and, and organize their, their network of experts and talk to people. And so they assembled this committee. Um, we, the committee met with, uh, in the Census Bureau office four times a year. These are very involved uh, trips, uh, nonstop meetings uh, and presentations from census folks about uh, the changes they were making. Uh, sometimes we would go and uh, oversee different field operations, such as the uh, um, uh, the data collection oper- operations in Jefferson. And I, I walked along with people in Asheville, North Carolina, as they were testing how they find uh, new addresses. Um, so we really got a, a deep view into how the Census Bureau does their operations. And our job was just to think about what are all the possible risks uh, that these changes might be creating. Okay. I'm curious. You said you said there's going to be a half million people working for the census, which that was seemed really surprising. But then you said there were 800,000 during the last census. So why has that gone down? Uh, one of the, it's gone down for a number of reasons. They're hoping it'll go down because uh, of um, well, actually, let me back up. But most of those people. Uh, used to do two things. Uh, one is they would go out usually in the fall before the census and they used to walk every single street in America making sure that their address list was up to date. They're not doing that anymore. They're doing that in some neighborhoods. What they're doing now is they're looking at satellite imagery uh, to identify neighborhoods that haven't changed and they're not sending people to those neighborhoods. And then where they do see possible changes in satellite images, then they send people to walk the streets. So they've really reduced, uh, hopefully, uh, boots on the grounds there. Uh, the other thing that takes a lot of people is this non-response follow-up. When you don't fill out a census, uh, someone will come to your door. And again, that's boots on the grounds. And they're hoping, hoping with the online form that more people will respond um, uh, on their own and that they won't need as many boots on the grounds. However, there is an estimate that uh, with this citizenship question, uh, that there will need to be more boots on the ground to contact people who are afraid to answer. Um, And the latest estimate, I think, was that uh, the citizenship question might raise their costs by $90 million, at least, uh, because they need people to follow up. All right. So and uh, the second part was, you know, are there other things? You mentioned the technology issue was one of the big concerns. You want to just point out one other? Um... 
Well, the two big ones, as I said, were that they're creating this new uh, software system. Mm-hmm. It's called the eCase. Uh, the plan is to give uh, um, about 300,000 workers who are going to be out in the field. They're going to give them all iPhone 8s, and they're going to their estimate was that they're going to have to interview 60 million households and follow up, and, and the software is uh, supposed to do everything for them. It's supposed to route workers to different neighborhoods based on work availability and language and the best time to contact people, and then they're actually going to use the software to administer the census themselves, and it's kind of one-stop software, and this software didn't exist uh, a few years ago. And uh, the Census Bureau has... Uh, seriously botched previous decennial censuses because they put out software that ended up being buggy when people needed it. And so this, um, uh, this was a huge concern. Mm-hmm. Uh, that together with the, uh, the online option and the cybersecurity, uh, those were the, the two biggest issues we had. And this was before the citizenship issue came up. Gotcha. Okay. We have another phone call. Let's go to Dennis on the line. Dennis? Hi. My question is, do you have any idea of a timeline for hiring people and uh, giving training sessions in, in 2019. All right. And I think uh, you, you're in Monroe County, right, Dennis? Yes. Okay. Um, let's ask Brad about Indianapolis for sure. Well, for, I know uh, first. And you can go to the, the census.gov website or just Google um, census jobs, and you can, com- you can fill out an application right now. And so it depends on the jurisdiction. They're, different, they're opening different types of offices at different times. Um, but you, they are actively taking applications right now. And because of the, the strength of the economy, the unemployment rate right now, um, I know that they are worried about getting a, you know, enough qualified workers. Um, this time around in 2010, we were in the middle of the recession. And so uh, I know that's, a, that's an issue. And so if you go to the census.gov website and there is a way to, to apply. How many different kinds of jobs are there? Are there several or just like so one? So there's, there's a variety of jobs. Yeah. And so as Nick mentioned, there's kind of data management jobs. Um, in some places, there's office jobs, there's supervisory jobs, and then um, there are the, you know, the walk the neighborhood enumerators. And what's the range of pay for these jobs? Uh, I believe um, I looked uh, earlier last week, and it's 14 to 18 bucks an hour. Okay. All right. So Dennis, right. thank you. Good? Okay. All right. I'm looking at their website now, and um, the qualifications, I mean, you have to be 18, have a Social Security number, be a citizen, and it looks like in a lot of places you have to have a car or compu- and a computer with Internet, but it says they offer competitive wages. We only have four or five minutes to go. I want to get back to the just where we are on the citizenship question. Um, can you answer that, Nick, or Brad, or Vicki, any of you, answer where yeah. we are in the courts? So there was a court case in a district court in New York. Uh, the ruling came out in the middle of February, and uh, they argued that the citizenship question had to be removed uh, because it appeared that it was a decision made by Secretary Ross uh, before Justice Department, even after this. And therefore, they argued the, the judge ruled that it was an arbitrary and capricious violation of the Administrative Procedures Act. Um, normally, it would go to appeals court, but everybody involved, prosecutors and defendants, have asked for this to go straight to the Supreme Court because the census is supposed to go off to the printing press in July, and they need to know what it's going to be on it before then. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, the court usually rules, makes its rulings in June, right? So if it's going to take up this case? It, yeah, so it, they're it, supposed <laughs> to do hearings for this case sometime in April and then have a decision in June. Can you talk a little bit about what you're, when you're going to really start focusing your efforts in Marion County? Yeah, and so we uh, just launched with uh, Mayor Hogsett and uh, Congressman Carson, um, a couple weeks ago, um, we have identified um, dozens of people that are going to start meeting, and so we meet for the first time in those subcommittees um, in a few weeks here. Um, we'll be hiring some street team folks, so we're hiring some young people, um, hopefully bilingual, that can go to uh, festivals and neighborhood events and farmers markets and some things like that to kind of p- put a face um, out in the community. Um, and so those folks will be coming online early summer, um, really between now and April 1st, 2020, which is a census day. Uh, will be um, very visible out in the community. So what's Census Day mean? Is that the day that that's the, that's the, that's technical, the final? That's the technical day of the count. The yeah. day of the count. Yep. Okay. And then when does Census Data come out? It's usually 20, it'll be 2021, 2022. So it comes yeah. out in batches, and Nick yeah. might be able to better answer that, but it comes out uh, raw population, and then you get some of the basic uh, redistricting data that's necessary, and then the complete um, detailed counts come out much later. Mm-hmm. Nick and I, I also... When I ask you, well, I guess I could ask anybody here, but 
there's a lot of data, a lot of data that's that's collected. I mean, besides just the actual count of how many people live where, I mean, what are some other really important things that are, are learned in the census? And the decennial census, um, one of the biggest things that come out is uh, in the early t- uh, 2021, they'll release um, uh, a file, which will be broken down to each individual city block, and it'll give the number of people in that block. It may give whether or not they're citizens by counts. Um, and it has the number of people that are over 18 and under 18. Uh, and this is the actual file that's used for redistricting. Uh, this is the file that's used for uh, um, uh, for, for monitoring voting rights um, violations. Um, uh, the census data from the decennial census as mentioned won't usually come out until 2012. Mm-hmm. For research, though, to be honest, the American Community Survey mm-hmm. is much more valuable than the decennial census uh, because the American Community Survey asks all those rich questions about uh, income and education uh, and employment. And that's also a, a part of the U.S. Census Bureau, right? It's part of the U.S. Census Bureau. It relies on the decennial census to know how many people are, but it's a survey. It's about one in 40 people, and it, it comes out every year. So we actually get some updates about how, how the population is changing every year. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's a survey. It's not a census. Okay, gotcha. We are out of time. I want to I thank you all for being here. This is a, a huge topic, a lot of ways we could go on it, and I think we covered a lot of ground today, and I really appreciate it. Our guests have been Brad Bobian from Indianapolis, uh, the city of Indianapolis, Vicki Polanski from the League of Women Voters in Bloomington and Murrow County, and Nicholas Nagel joined us from Tennessee. He's an associate professor of geography at the University of Tennessee. Thank you all for being here. For producer Patrick McGurr, Engineer Mike Pashkash and co-host Sarah Whitmeyer. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com.